Enforcement's eyes. The danger. Shots fired, shots fired. The tragedy. A baby in the car, too. And the emotional consequences. That is a life changing experience. An NBC 10 investigation is looking at the alarming consequences of being a cop. For months, NBC owned television stations worked with the Fraternal Order of Police, surveying thousands of officers about their mental health. Investigative reporter Mitch Blocker has the results. These guys might be armed or at least have guns in our houses. Philly Police Sergeant Andrew Callahan is getting ready to serve a warrant. If somebody gets hurt, put them in the car in the front. It's work that almost cost him his life. They call it a near-death experience. 25 years later, he can't forget firing his gun to defend himself. A lot of cops walk around, and I was one of them, saying, but it's not going to happen to me. He says he won't forget his reaction. Sleepless nights and a depression, he says, led to a post-traumatic stress diagnosis. All of a sudden, I started to have problems, and I didn't know what it was. I just literally thought I was cracking up. He's not alone. Critical stress is part of police work. In Philly, cops aren't only policing. They're taking crime victims to the hospital and burying friends and colleagues all too often. I knew then it was time for me to step down because I just couldn't bury another police officer. Philadelphia's former police commissioner Charles Ramsey retired when a fifth officer in nine months died under his command. When you lose that many people in that short a period of time, you get this sense of it's just not safe out there. You know, your, your life is constantly at risk. Responding to trauma creates trauma. That's according to nearly 8,000 police from all over the country, nearly 500 of them from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. 78% told us they've experienced critical stress on the job. 68% say that stress led to unresolved emotional issues. 16% told us they thought of suicide. They take that same baggage home that I take home, and I'm not doing their job 24-7. Jason Dawkins grew up in the North Philly neighborhood he now represents. The state representative walked us through his district. In the last six months, home to seven homicides, 22 rapes, and 138 aggravated assaults. I want to make sure that there's some safeguards that's put in place for our community and for our officers. So he's introducing a bill requiring all Pennsylvania law enforcement to get a mental health screening every two years. But right now, it does not include money for treatment. How do you do it without money? So I think uh, there's, there's nothing that can really happen without money these days when we're talking about the legislature. I think things that are important we find money for, and I think our officers are worth the investment. Okay, thanks. Let me know if he goes back in the house with it. You'll get no argument from this veteran cop. His experience inspired him to go back to school. He's now a certified employee assistance professional and counsels hundreds of police officers every year. No cop should ever have to walk alone again. 
Now, one of the hardest parts of this reporting was getting police officers to talk about their mental health. 90% of the officers surveyed told us that there's a stigma that prevents them from talking about mental health. Statistically speaking, there is a real need for treatment. Last year across the United States, 140 police officers committed suicide. Live in the newsroom for the investigators, I'm Mitch Blocker, NBC 10 News. Hey, want to welcome everybody to another episode of You and the Law Podcast Show. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, Virgil Green. And uh, as always, the dude who's kind of cut his beard down a little bit, but still, he still got some age on him. Goes, <laughs> by, the, goes by the name of Chief Swaggy One. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Once again, you open our podcast with a with a with a hit, man. A little rat punch. That's okay, man. No, man, you know, it's all, you know, yeah. it's all fun, man. You yeah, know, I, the, I think we're I think the same I, age, man. I think our our, our uh, audience, man, they they get it. They they enjoy that, man. We're the same age, man. So I just want to say that. What's up, brother Gene? But you know, good, man. How you doing, man? I'm good, bro. Good seeing you. Man, I'm smiling ear to ear, man, because this is my dog, man. This is my man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, go back, we go back 35 years, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we do, man. And, uh, you know, he's 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 been there. He's seen my my firstborn. I've seen his first person. Only. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, but yeah. Gene and I met in the academy. We actually met during the hiring process. Uh, yeah. And no idea that we were going to end up being lifelong, you know, friends like we have. Uh, we've been through a lot together. Uh, Gene's got, he's amazing. Uh, you talking about what you hear here is what you're going to get. Um, Gene rose up through the ranks, and I'm going to let him talk about it, but I just kind of want to let you kind of guys know Gene's an author, uh, published author. He wrote a book. I know his first book years ago, and I know he's always writing and stuff. Um, Gene is a very, very, um, very strong Christian man. Uh, he's got a beautiful daughter uh, who is, uh, you know, I, I like to tell people this, man. If anybody ever says that a uh, a single man can't raise a a, a, a young lady, Gene's there to prove them wrong. So uh, he's my man. He's my man. We're real close. And, uh, you know, Gene did uh, 30 years, well, 20, 20, 26, 27 years at Fort Worth. And, uh he knew exactly, you know, we talked about it. Gene knew when it was time to get to to um, to um, to hang it up, you know, hang up the gun belt. And yeah. that's why I wanted him to, uh, we wanted you to be on the show to kind of talk about that. You know, when when is enough? When did you know uh, that it was time for you to, um, to say, hey, I, I, this, I'm, I'm done with this career and I've got some other things I wanted to do? Yeah, so, so Gene, uh, Tell us about yourself. Uh, Humphrey Humphreys gave a little bit uh, background about you, but uh, let our uh, listeners know a little bit more about who you are, where you come from, and yeah. Well, I'm I'm not a native Texan. I still live in in Texas. I live in Fort Worth, um, but actually, I'm a native Wisconsinite. Born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, went to public school there. Um, a couple universities, <clears throat> uh, well, actually a technical college, uh, um, the Milwaukee Area Technical College and, and the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Um, I actually started off in life wanting to be a professional musician. I wanted to be a professional French hornist. 
And um, that's what I went to college for. My first year in college was as a music major. I don't know if Huff is aware of this, but I was a music major, um, enrolled in the School of Music and, and at, the, at UWM. And it was the early 80s. And uh, I was a classical uh, musician. And it was a different world. You know, there are a lot of blacks in, in the classical world today, but at that time, there weren't nearly as many. And um, in fact, that was the only black person on the um, in the classical genre of the school of music. And it was tough. My, my race created some problems for me. And um, I, I, I hate it, but I didn't, uh, didn't hang in there. I dropped out after a year. It was just, it was just real tough. Um, <clears throat> it was real tough. And, and I hired on with the Milwaukee Police Department as they put sort of, sort of a, it's called a police aide, but it's a police apprentice. So that's where I got a taste of police work as a civilian, uh, uniform personnel, uh, working in different areas of the department. Um, I worked in Vice. I worked in uh, the ID Bureau. Did that for a year. And I just wanted to leave Milwaukee. So I left and I moved to St. Louis um, and was working with uh, a guy in a ministry, my spiritual father. I came to, to uh, Dallas, Fort Worth to visit family, not planning on staying, but I ended up staying. And it's been almost 40 years now. Well, man, it sounds like you definitely got away from the cold weather in Milwaukee. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm I'm uh, up in Minnesota now, and yeah. brother, I tell you, I don't see how people live up in Wisconsin and, and uh, yeah. Minnesota. It's pretty. I miss it. The snow is pretty and all, but I don't miss all the blizzards and the cold. And there's yeah. nothing like winter up north, but you can have the rest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so when did you? Uh, so you. you you and Chief Humphrey, y'all met in the uh, in the academy. So, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, kind of uh, tell us how how that kind of how that friendship came about. And here we go. It's gonna be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what i I wouldn't be a cop today if it weren't for Hump because I didn't have a car. <laughs> and Keith picked me up. He was kind enough to do it. Um, sometimes it was. I know it was tough, but. You know, brother hung in there with me. He, I really appreciate it. Got much love for Hunt. We went to the whole academy. He came and picked me up on the east side of Fort Worth and um, made it through. Um, I had a little bumpy experience there and, and uh, kind of bounced and came back again. And um, from then on, it was um, it was like a stair step experience for me. It had had some 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 trying moments, but overall, I had a lot of success with Fort Worth. It, I, I had to do a lot of fighting. It, it, well, I'm sure we'll get to that. Had to do a lot of fighting um, after I wrote my book and all. But it was just one, you know, um, upward step um, after another. Shortly after I got cut loose. I got tapped to do a um, narcotics assignment, um, like a 21 Jump Street assignment. Went into a high school, spent six months at Southwest High School. Uh, but before that, I spent about um, six, seven, eight months just buying dope all over Fort Worth. Um, 
So learn how to buy crack, learn how to buy heroin, marijuana, all over the city. Could buy everywhere except Como. If you're from Fort Worth, you know Como. It's a real tight, tight knit community. Everybody knows everybody, and if they don't know you, you can't buy anything. Um, so I was never, I don't think I ever bought drugs. Maybe one time I was able to buy drugs in Como, but I could buy anywhere else. And, um, then, you know, did community relations for a while, published a little newsletter, got some notoriety there. And then I, and I finally got over myself and started promoting. And from then on, it was just, you know, to the heels. And it was successful in every rank that he, he reached. But, you know, I, I'm on a. A little bit of levity. Do you know why Gene couldn't buy anything in Como? Virgil, you know? No, what? Did Virgil, you know why he couldn't buy anything in Como? No, what did you because, have something to do with it? No, because you can't walk up to someone and say, excuse me, do you have any green leafy <laughs> substance? I might want to <laughs> So you didn't have you didn't you didn't have that you didn't have that that look and you didn't have that voice, huh? No, no, no. Actually, Como is just, it's different. Como is it's different, different and not in the it's bad like, way. I respect Como. I have a lot of respect. Como. It's a real it's a real tight knit community. A lot of respect. A lot of love mm -hmm. for Como. But you got to know somebody. One, my partner and I had a, a we did a little we did a, a special assignment. Be very honest with you. What we were doing was um, word the um, police department got word that a particular officer was tipping off some of the street dealers when when they were about to get hit. So they sent me and my partner to do surveillance to see if this particular officer showed up. We didn't get to stay there very long because we went in this. Um, I don't know if you know Como Comp, but um, that apartment complex isn't there anymore near the near the rec center um, um, on Horn. Yeah. But we were parked up in there, and these kids came up to us and they said, "Who are you here with?" <laughs> <laughs> and my partner made up a name. We here with made up a name. I don't want to get stereotypical, but made up a name. And they looked at each other, at each other and they said, uh-uh, you got to go. <laughs> and we sat there for a minute and all of a sudden, kapow, a rock hit our window and I took off. <laughs> and they, they were throwing rocks at us as, as we were leaving. You can't, you can't do Como. Everybody knows everybody there. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm assuming, Hump, you, you stayed out of Como, huh? No, whatever, man. Uh, go to this. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't think you ever worked the West Side, huh? Did you? I've never worked the West Side. Yeah, I never worked the West Side. So let me ask you this: I, I'm a little familiar with Fort Worth. There was a mall that was right off of the interstate. Thirty-five. Uh, Thirty-five. Yeah, right off. Yeah, of the interstate. seminary. Seminary uh, town. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, seminary town. Yeah, back in in in. I did a little stint there when I was trying to get on with uh, Arlington University and lasted maybe a couple of months because this was probably back in, oh, shoot, 80, uh, 87, 88. So, so it, it, there was a lot of traffic coming through there then. Yeah, yeah. 
So, Gene, let me ask you this. So, you know, we've talked about this, and uh, we talked about if I would have stayed there, man, you know, what a what a dynamic team we would have made. But, you I mean, you, 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 you did it. You did your thing. And I think the thing that, you know, you talked about your achievements and things like that, but kind of let's talk about, um, you know, normally you, you know, if you don't know Fort Worth structure, officer, then uh, corporal, and then sergeant, lieutenant, uh, at that time, it was captain and then deputy chief and chief. Mm-hmm. We talk about when you um, when you start getting up in that mid management range, lieutenant. Uh, what did you see? What did you see then? What was uh, you know what was eye opening for you? Uh, number one, as a um, progressive um, young black young black man, and, and as a as a black man that became a mid manager in Fort Worth. Police department, as you know, that uh, there wasn't it wasn't very um, receptive uh, to African Americans, even when you and I started. Mm-hmm. So, you know, during the time, you remember we were there during the Rodney King situation, the mm-hmm. OJ situation, mm-hmm. things like that. So, when you got to mid management, what did you what did you notice when you you know when you look back over the years and you got to that level of a lieutenant? What did you notice? Um, well, for one, it's, it's very competitive and especially at that time, um, I I worked for, um, as a Lieutenant, my first, my first gig as a Lieutenant was on the East side. I was a, what we called NPD neighborhood policing district, like a precinct. Yeah. I was a precinct commander and I worked for a friend of mine. Um, won't mention his name. You know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm not mentioning his name for any bad reason, but just don't want to put people out there like that. But worked right. for a friend of mine, and it didn't it didn't go too well um, because it was really competitive. Um, you know, there were you know a few of us that were um, really ambitious and and wanting to to um, establish ourselves in our career and uh, you know create a future for ourselves. People had vision they wanted to they wanted to achieve achieve certain goals and so everyone was trying to do their thing now we kind of butted heads um but it, it's really political at that level it begin it begins to be very political and um you don't understand at least i didn't understand the importance of building relationships um um building your cachet, your relationships with people at every level in the organization, because don't think that, don't think that your officers aren't important. They can break you. So, um, you, you see how important it is to have those good relationships. You, you see how important it is to build a rapport with your teams. Um, and also how, how important it is to have relationships, good relationships with, with those above you. But there, you know, it got to the point where there's there was a lot of fighting going on and kind of lost focus. It didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't fatal. But uh, if I had, if I could go back over and and do that again, I would do it differently. Um, you also learn how important it is to establish yourself in the community, which I did do very well. I did a great job of that. Um, you also begin to uh, interact with the political element of your city. It's important to maintain those good relationships. 
um, because at, at, at that level, you don't really see how they affect what you're able to do and how far, even how far you're able to go. You, you want to have a good name. You want people to speak well of you. And so it's, I'm sorry, it's one second. And it's all coming in. Um, but you, you know, you, you, you begin to see politically how the, how the organization operates. Um, you begin to see the different networks within the organization, who's connected to whom and how these networks work and how they affect and influence what you do and what you're not able to do. Um, but honestly, um, my eyes really opened at the sergeant level when I was in internal affairs. Internal affairs is what opened the veil for me. That's when the veil opened and I saw the police, the organization I worked in. That was when I realized that I could actually be a lieutenant or a captain or a deputy chief <laughs> because I saw everybody's work. And it kind of shattered that God image I had of, of people and it humanized people at that rank and made me realize, oh, I can do this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Gene, you know, and you kind of hate to say that, but it goes back to now I know if he could be a lieutenant. Yeah. I yeah. mean, seriously, I mean, you, you, it does force you to challenge yourself. Yeah. And like, man, really? Is this the best we have in the department? Is this what our department's headed? I mean, you, you, you do make those those statements. You do, yeah. So, so Gene, you know, as we talk about the topic tonight, recognizing law enforcement burnout, it's not so much about mental health, but obviously, you know, that mental health uh, piece is in there. But as a sergeant, <clears throat> did you ever, going from a sergeant to a lieutenant, did you ever recognize officers who <clears throat> were in that, who looked like they were in a position uh, of burning out? And did you ever, how did you cope with, how did you handle that with them? Or did you ever experience anything like that uh, in those in those ranks of a, of a sergeant to a lieutenant? You know, I, I was a rabbit. I just jumped up the ladder. So I didn't spend a lot of time in, in patrol as a sergeant. Almost my entire time as a as a as a sergeant was spent in internal affairs. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so I, I I didn't deal with I, you know I dealt with officers. They were stressed out when they came to see me. Oh yeah, it, yeah. Just they, just they the IA was mm -hmm. get yeah. yeah. They were stressed out. They were spiraling. You know they were. That's that's you know how they were when they came to see me. But I did take that knowledge because when I was in internal affairs, I did come up with an idea to early identify um, um, behavioral problems. Mm -hmm. And not, not just for discipline, but for intervention for, uh, I, this was before, you know, um, this was before trauma and therapy was really the thing that it is today. Um, I, I did see the need then. Um, I didn't really recognize, didn't realize what I had tapped into but I wish it, I wish it, it my, 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 my um, supervisor at the time wasn't really excited about the idea. So it didn't really go anywhere, but I did come up with an idea to early identify problems within officers to address behavioral issues before they became more serious. Um, and I did take some of those ideas and, and I applied them as a Lieutenant and as a captain. Um, but, I, you know, you do notice that 
and you know, I'm sure you guys have seen it as chiefs, that, you know, the most critical period in an officer's, um, uh, within an officer's, in an officer's career is when they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. If they're under investigation, you want to be, you know, you want to be really careful because, you know, I don't know how many times you guys have seen it, but I've seen it a few times where officers have gotten in trouble while they were, you know, um, on suspension uh, or working the desk under investigation. So, you know, I, you know, I have dealt with it. I've dealt with officers that have come to me and they, they, um, uh, have been suicidal, uh, or they had a breakdown and didn't really tell anybody that that's what it was. They just needed to take off. You knew that's what it was, but you know, we didn't really deal with it for what it was. Mm -hmm. I I would imagine times have changed, but I have dealt with that. We did not have the resources then we had EAP and that you could send officers to, but we really didn't have the resources that were necessary to deal with officers and, and those types of issues. Yeah. And, and I think that was going to be our follow-up question uh, for you and Chief Humphrey, you know, what type of resources did Fort Worth have or didn't have back then? Because it wasn't something that obviously in the early eighties or late eighties that agencies really, um, some agencies did a good job with it and some agencies didn't. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Virgil Dean and I came along at the time when it was, it was the, the suck it up era. Yeah. Uh, it was basically, you know, stop whining, uh, get back to work. Um, yeah. you know, you're talking at the time that you didn't have FMLA. So if you're, if your wife or, or significant other was expecting, uh, you know, you better hope to have the baby on your days off and you might, be able to get two or three more days after that, you know, it was that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of pressure on, on so you know, it, it wasn't that you didn't have people to talk to unless you went and spoke to a peer and a lot of the peers, and I'm sorry, a lot of the peers and a lot of the tours didn't have that level of expertise. Uh, you know, the, and Gene can probably attest to this, man. One of the worst things you can tell somebody is I know what you're going through. You, you know, and so basically, you know, that's what's happening, man. Quit whining. The department hear you say things like that. So people just shut down and they dealt with it. And and so I think, you know, throughout law enforcement, that's what we've seen. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we, we're in that position that we are now in law enforcement where it's, 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 it's you know, it's exploded or imploded. And, and so now we, you know, we're trying to catch up with EAP and wellness and peer support and things like that. Yeah. So, so guys, so, you know, and back then, you know, obviously Fort Worth, you know, crime was, crime has always been bad, but obviously looking at the culture of Fort Worth PD, how would you um, look at that versus, you know, Dallas PD or, Arlington or any other, was there uh, a difference in what was going on in, in Fort Worth versus what was going on in Arlington because they're kind of right close to each other? Or even Dallas for that. Yeah. Um, Fort Worth, um, uh, Thomas Wyndham came in, I think, 84, uh, 84, 85, he took over the department from L.A., came from L.A., brought his L.A. experience, his L.A. insights. Um, and he, you know, he brought, he pulled the department into the 20th century, kicking and screaming. It was very much a good old boy police department before that. 
Um, but, you know, he pulled it out of that era. Now, of course, that element was still there, but um, he did a good job of getting it under control. Um, brought some progressive elements in, affirmative, oh, affirmative diversity, uh, appreciation for diversity was really important. And that, that you know, helped to bring in um, a, a whole batch of officers, um, me and, and many others, that probably would not have gotten hired on if it weren't for, for those initiatives, not just in the police department, but throughout the city of Fort Worth at that time. Um, and push the department forward in, into you know, community policing, um, one of the leading agencies uh, in community policing. Um, probably not as progressive as some other agencies like in, in, in some ways like Arlington. Arlington, uh, one of the things I really respected about Arlington is that it valued education. You had to have a, a four-year degree or or 120 hours is that correct huh uh it, is that huh? is that right huh yeah yeah you had to have uh, yeah. you had to have a degree yeah okay yeah you have yeah, you, you have had to have, have the four degree. year yes. four year degree and you know and it does you know say you know people can say what they want but it does make a difference in the quality of personnel um it doesn't you know it it, it does it, it it makes a huge difference and um, you know, Gene, we, we've kind of had that conversation on the podcast uh, mm -hmm. about the education part. Mm -hmm. And because up here in Minnesota and obviously I think Wisconsin may be the same, you have to have a, a two or four year degree uh, to, uh, to be a police officer. Uh, and, you know, one of the topics that we had on the podcast previously was after everything happened with with Chauvin up in Minneapolis. Mm hmm. Does that when you look at somebody who has that degree uh, that's required by the state, uh, but still you've got all these other things uh, happening with that individual and others, does that degree uh, really play a role in, in that person's decision making versus somebody who doesn't have a degree who may go through their whole career not having those same type of uh, of behavioral patterns yeah it does you know the studies reflect that the studies reflect that officers you know this is a you know a, a generalization doesn't apply to every single officer with a four-year degree but oh, on balance uh, officers with, with with degrees with higher education have you know fewer personnel issues mm -hmm. um they're you know more professional the studies bear that out so uh so arlington was more progressive in that way but um you know fort worth was it had its issues. It had its issues, but it was still a good organization to be a part of. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of my time there. I'm, I'm proud to have been associated with the Fort Worth Police Department. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there are many, many good organizations in this area, and, and Arlington was definitely one of them. I'm not just saying that just because that's where I'm with, but because it's just a fact. It's true. Dallas is, is in, in many ways as well. Um, at that time, um, I think I would, would have choked rather have been with, 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 with Fort Worth than, I mean, Dallas, I mean, Fort Worth and Dallas. Um, it was, I think Fort Worth was a good place to be at that time under, under Chief Wyndham. And then, um, 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 
his protege, one of them, Chief uh, Mendoza, Ralph Mendoza, a very good friend of mine, took over, and he did really good with the organization. It took a turn after that, um, and uh, it's kind of a different agency today. Uh, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's a whole different organization, different style than it was when I was there, especially when I was coming up. Hey, Gene, I want to I want to get with, um, you know, the, the, the main topic. You know, we, we, we know that, you know, you, you've been successful. You've mentored a lot of people. Uh, you've mentored me. You've given you've given me some good advice and things like that. But, Gene, when did you know? When, when did you know that it was time? I mean, kind of walk us through what led you to and say, okay, it's it's time. Well, when you when you're when you're fighting more than you're having fun, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. And that was the case for me. Um, you know, it, it, at the executive level, you, you're going to have your battles. You're you're going to battle. You're going to fight. And um, depending on really what your philosophy is, what your focus is, what your values are will determine and, and how you perceive as well will determine how much you fight. Um, and it, the organization changed and my organization changed in 2008 um, when meet and confer uh, was passed. It, it changed. It, it gave the um, it gave the 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 larger association a tremendous amount of power, a uh, 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 very large megaphone, and it changed the the political dy- dynamics in the organization, and so completely changed that game, and from that point on, you know, it, it was a battle. And I did it, and I battled, and I won some, and I lost some. And it got to the point where it was just exhausting. And um, I, I just wasn't interested in fighting anymore. It just started the passion, because I did. I got into police work because, honestly, I needed the job. <laughs> it wasn't the thing that I dreamt of doing since I was a little, little guy. I needed the job, and I applied, and I got hired. My passion came as I did the job, and at that, you know, you, you got to have the passion to to achieve that level. And I did. I love my job. I love solving problems. I love helping people. I love doing good things for the organization and for the communities I serve. Um, and the passion just started to wane because I was having to fight too much, and that that's what told me it was time to go. So was the, the fighting from within the organization? Oh, it, yeah, it was the in, internal wrangling. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So it, it, when you when you're dealing with that type of culture, go ahead, go ahead, Keith. No, I I was I was going to say that, um, and I know we're having some some technical issues, and it's not because of anybody here; it's just the, the system. But um, I know that. I've always, I've always said that police departments cannot deliver top quality uh, service to someone and tell people outside what they shouldn't do, but they're doing the same things internally. 
that we're arresting people for and and firing people for. And and that's that's that in itself is 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 heartbreaking that that we can't get it together in law enforcement. That's that's in itself. And Gene, you and I you and I spoke numerous times. So what I'm hearing you say, and people have said this to me, you have to make a decision. You either fight or you work. And it's very difficult to do both. It is, yeah. It very. It wears you down. It wears you down. It does. Yeah. So, it then, does. so I'm hearing you say it got to the point where you did not enjoy, uh, you know, why you it got to the point you say you, you didn't enjoy working. Is that what it was? You didn't enjoy going to work? It became a it became a job instead of a you know something that you look forward to instead of a profession. Um, I, I actually never stopped enjoying coming to work, but I didn't like what I was coming to. If you understand, I didn't like what I was yeah. coming to. Mm -hmm. That was it. Wasn't the job? I, you know, I love dealing with the communities. Communities. I, I loved. I loved helping officers. I love doing those things. I did not enjoy having to come to the fight. That wasn't going away. Yeah. I recognized that, that that was not going away. And so I decided to hang it up. Well, and, and you know, and as we talk about the topic uh, tonight, podcast is, uh, you know, uh, when uh, recognizing law enforcement burnout, uh, did you see where? others probably should have been recognizing that and they should have been kind of removing themselves, but they were in the mindset that, Hey, they're going to stick around as long as they can. Even if that means them uh, making it difficult for others, uh, because as you stated, you know, you just got kind of tired of that, that, that fight. Oh but yeah. You got your, you got your retired on duty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You got your child on doing it. And I actually I followed um I took assignments a couple of times from people that had retired on duty and 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 was tasked with with you know fixing the situation they left. Yeah. Um yeah, and one of those was was what helped me to um um develop the 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 cachet that that, that led to my appointment to deputy chief. Um, yeah, they're those people that stay for whatever reason. Maybe they don't want to go home to whoever is at home. Uh, they don't want to be just their name. Um, and so they stay, but they're not doing the organization, the communities they serve, um, any much good. And they're there and they're all over. Their officers, their detectives, their sergeants, their lieutenants, their captains, they sometimes their deputy chiefs. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you can do that and be a police chief. <laughs> I don't know. It, it seemed like it would be kind of tough to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, they're there. Um, and, you know, because, you know, we're civ we, we are civil service. We have a lot of protection. So, you know, you can do that and get away with it. And I don't know what it's like today. I would imagine you still have those. In fact, I know you do. I, I hear about it. You still have those. But yeah, I, I followed a few people that that were, it, they should have left, but they didn't. Mm -hmm. um, 
and um, I have to come in and clean things up. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey guys, we got uh, a comment in uh, in the chat room uh, from one of our uh, loyal followers and listeners. Uh, uh, she goes by it's Unity for for homeless. She's out of uh, California. Uh, one of the questions she asked in the chat room was it a fight for black officers? Uh, I don't know. I mean, was uh, I, I don't know if she's meaning was it something that you were dealing with black officers or was there something that uh, you experienced as a black officer that, that put you in, in that, uh, in that situation? Uh, well, I forgot her name It's team mom. So team mom, I know you're listening and watching. So uh, please forgive me uh, for not uh, recognizing uh, the name. So again, thank you for listening. Well, yeah, it was, it, I'm, I wrote my book in 96 and and then I got because the book was about uh, black crime in, in the context of uh, the criminal justice, um, political, economic and social systems um, uh, of America. Yeah. And um, uh, I so I got branded a racist. But because at that time we had a strong chief. People, you know didn't really mess with me very much. And then um, that was under Chief Wyndham. He passed away in 2000, Chief Mendoza took over. He, you know, he did a great job. He did a great job of holding that element back. But in 2008, when meet and confer came and we got a new chief, that's when it began. That's when the attacks began. Um, and they just really just drove that narrative about me being a racist. I'm a racist, I'm a racist, I'm a racist. And so when I would discipline a white officer, um, it was because I hated white people. Um, but then, you know, when I disciplined the black officer is because I was too, too, too white. <laughs> so, um, that's just, you know, that's just, that's what I had to deal with. But because I was a strong advocate for, um, uh, you know, I had the east side. I had the east side and I had the east side and then south division. A lot of my constituents were black, Hispanics. That's what they were. And I can't control where the complaints came from. A lot of the complaints came from black and Hispanic constituents. So because I was an advocate for um, professional policing, uh, yeah, it, 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 the narrative was created that I was the savior of the black people. And, you know, I wasn't that um, because if you look at my record, if you look at my, um, my reviews, if you look at the complaints I dealt with, you'll see a very even-handed approach. In fact, there was an analysis done on my recommendations without my knowledge. And it, it proved that that it was even-handed. There wasn't a difference in how I how I disciplined black officers or white officers. But that was just a narrative that was created. That was part of the fight. That was one of the tools, the weapons that was used. So yeah, that that was one of the things I was I was fighting against, and I did I did stand up for um, I did stand up for black communities that were underserved that were um, that weren't given the treatment that other parts of the city received. 
I did do that. I was a strong. I mean, I, and I lived on the east side as well. Right. So, you know, of course, I'm going to look out for, um, for, you know, the area I live in. Yeah. Um, but that was to answer the viewer's question. That was part of it, that I was perceived as standing up for the black people. As a matter of fact, I don't know, Gene, I'm sure Gene remembers this. When you refer to as Uncle Jones. Um, I was, I was when I was a, um, uh, when I was a community relations officer, when I was a neighborhood patrol officer, um, I developed a rapport with, with, um, some drug dealers in an area I had and I got them talking to me and I took that information and I, 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 uh, drafted an Intel in, Intel IOC and gave it to the patrol officers. So one of the patrol officers went and told them, you know, you you you, you think um, uh, Uncle Jones is your friend, <laughs> but he wrote this. <laughs> he wrote this about y'all, and so I went out there and started talking to them, and everyone turned around and walked off. And I said, "What's what's the problem?" And one of the guys turned around and said, "We know what you did. We know what you did." and told me about the IOC that I wrote on them. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And so that got investigated. At first, the, 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 the precinct that I worked in didn't handle it seriously. Uh, didn't They actually believed the officer. And I went to the police chief, and then he gave it to Internal Affairs, and it got, they got properly addressed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> well, hey, uh, we got a question in the chat room from uh, Pam, she said, what does meet and confer mean? Meet and confer is, a, is essentially a bargaining tool. It, it, it gives the uh, majority police association the right to bargain with the city, to go negotiate with the city. It gives them, not the other organizations, not the, <clears throat> if there is one, not the Black Police Association or the Hispanic, Latino, whatever it may be, or whatever the other, the majority association, they have the right to sit at the table with city management and bargain for whatever every so many years. That's essentially what it is. And it, and it also gives them power. It gives them um, a voice. I don't know if, if if 183, uh, chapter 183 of the government code, where this comes out of, gave them this right, but they did have a lot of involvement in the day-to-day -day management of the organization. In my opinion, way too much. Mm -hmm. And that's way what created much. a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why he said uh, uh, to Pam, that's why he said and to uh, um, uh the young lady from California. That's why he said he gave the unions or the associations a megaphone yeah. uh, to scream to scream louder. Gene, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: Do you believe uh, that a lot of your issues were based solely the fact that you were an African American male in a upper management position? Do you think? Because I think I know the answer to this, but. Did you do you think that if you would have been white in that position, do you think that you would have had a lot of the pushback and things that you um, uh, suffered? 
I'll write. I'll answer that question this way. Here's what. Here's what. <clears throat> A ranking board member of the, the police officers association told me, it won't mention this person's name, will not do that. This is what they told me. They said, Gene, you're going to have problems here because you're black, you're smart, and you wrote that book. So those were the three reasons being black, being, I'm not saying this is what he said about me. I mean, I don't, I'm not dumb, but being black, right. being an intelligent guy. Um, you know, I was a, am, was a, uh, a great writer, could articulate, could weave together a great, you know, put, put the pieces together, put together a great story, um, did a really good job. You put, you put a case in front of me, I'm going to give you a really good review. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just can pull out all the, you know, the really critical issues and, put together a strong case for my recommendation. Did a good job of that. Yeah. Could see through, you know, <laughs> could see yeah. through the issues. Um, and then that book, uh, people took, some people took the book and made copies of it and passed it out to people, even in the department, even outside and to some of the communities trying to, you know, take the way people saw me. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, you know, and it, it you, you take the book away because there's there are other people in, in my organization, black, really sharp, that had issues too. And that's just the fact. That's just the fact. If you know if you're black, you're smart, you're good at what you do, you, you're gonna it's gonna bring you some you're gonna have some problems. And yeah. that's you know probably more true in some organizations than others. I don't think that's the case across, you know, in every single police department across the country. Uh, I don't believe that. But in some organizations, that is you're going to have problems if you're if you're black and you're really smart and good at what you do and what you do. And you have strong values, you're going to have problems. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, uh, we got a comment in the chat room from Team Mom. She says, uh, ask the question, do you think it was a way for them to uh, keep keep you under control you know obviously as you talk about the book how that whole thing came out and i guess her her question is was this a way for them to keep you under control oh well you know that's just the nature of the game and it and it, and it really it's not just about being black um um you know officers the officer community and the the associations the unions they're always trying to look for ways to control management always mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's just part of the game but there is this another layer to that you know when you're black and you're considered what i would call counterculture you know mm -hmm. if you're counterculture if you're not you know if you don't have that traditional police mindset that that yeah. that mainstream police mindset if you don't have that mindset you're counterculture you're gonna have problems. Now, you're gonna have problems if you're white in your counterculture, but especially being being black. Being black, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's gonna create some problems <clears throat> for, for you. And, and not just with white officers, it will create problems for you with black officers too. Mm -hmm. Because black officers, some of them, uh, some will be vocal, probably most of them will not be because they're protecting themselves. 
they're they're not courageous enough to stand up and risk being you know having to take a hit they'll come to you and ask you to go to bat for them mm -hmm. and you know and and sometimes you do and and you can help them out now it won't stop them from talking about you like a dog <laughs> you know if you make a decision they don't like but that's just part of the business yeah um but yeah you know that's just the nature that's just that's just the nature of the beast mm -hmm. um you know you're going you know people are always trying to leverage you always um it, it, that's just that's just part of the business but when you are a black person and you know you are perceived as a threat <clears throat> yeah they're gonna look for ways to to mitigate what you're doing to stop you from what you're doing yeah Hey Keith, we got another question in in the chat room. I'll let you uh, uh, take that up. Yeah, Pam. Pam. Uh, Pam asked when you wrote your book, and I, I remember your book signing and the introduction of your book and everything. But she was asking, uh, do you believe that? Uh, did you anticipate any backlash? Oh, I was young and naive. <laughs> I was so, so young and, and naive, and being cheered on by a lot of people. Was no, was not cheered. Was Hump cheering you on? I don't know. I don't think I don't so. Know. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know that we talked about it a whole lot. We didn't. I went I went to the book. I remember mm -hmm. where it was, and I went to the book signing. But I had already left. I was gone in 95. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so when, did, when, did the, when did the book come out? 96. 96. Yeah. Okay. I knew that Gene is, is an amazing writer. Uh, and he had, we had talked about you know him uh, writing a book. And so it didn't surprise <laughs> me when it came, when it came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I still have my copy uh, of the book, and so um, yeah. So you, you're right. You, you know, you were young. We we're both young, mm -hmm. and all you're doing is wanting to write a book. That's it. You're, you're you're writing a book. You're not. You know, you're not thinking about the backlash back then. You, you yeah. were young. I got you know. I got into policing, and I looked around, and I was like, wow, this is. Some right. of this is good and some of this it isn't. Ba it's bad, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was like, well, let me yeah. kind of like tell this story here. And yeah. it was like, betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> you have betrayed us. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. do that. How, how, how dare you? How dare, how dare you? You, you supposed, hey, to, Virgil, you're supposed to look like one of us. Yeah. Hey, Virgil, let me say this. And, and I don't have to call names out. You can put faces, but... You actually have. Uh, I remember being in Fort Worth in my, in, you know, in my early in my career, and you would actually have black officers that would come to you and say, "Hey, man, you're making us look bad. You need to, you need to be quiet. <laughs> you know, we. I mean, that was, you know, hey, man, you, 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 you too loud, man. You're making, you, uh, you know, we, we. Yeah. You know what, man, and, and Gene, that's something that uh, we've got. We talked about it on the podcast, and it's something that we're. Uh, in the future going to be talking more about because uh, of those you, you kind of use the word uncomfortable conversation uh, yeah. in, in around especially black officers how much support do you have from people who look like you and yeah. how much support you don't have from people who look like you and the fact that Hump just said hey man you need to kind of tone that down you, you know mm -hmm. instead of saying hey we support you but it's almost like they've got to fit into this box and this click. And if they, yeah. and if you're not over here with us, you're going to be on that Island by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, you got your talkers, you got your people to talk a big, big, big game. Oh yeah. When you, yeah. when you're when they're amongst, you know, oh, yeah. when they're with, amongst ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Talk a big oh, game, they're big and bad. Yeah. I'm not gonna call no names, but we both know a certain female that used to do all that talking. We're not do this to me, do this to me. And then, no, oh, well, you know, I, uh, yeah, I well, it wasn't directed at me, so I don't need to get involved. You know what I mean? So, I, and and, and res me. respect respect to those black officers that had the courage and had the voice and would use it. Respect to them, and and I don't castigate those that that you know. I understood it's scary. Mm -hmm. It, it is scary, you know, it, it's scary. And when you come home to your king size bed and, and you're nice, your new car and, and you got a whole family that you got to feed. I understand having the way, you know, the possibilities, what could happen. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, you want that, you, you know, you like going to Colonial to work that part time job. You like that. <laughs> you like that money. That Colonial money is good. And, and being there and watching Tiger and everything, you, that's, you know, I, I get it. I get it because if you become an outcast, you don't get to work colonial. Yeah, you don't yeah. get to work colonial. Yeah. You don't get a lot of these part-time gigs. You yeah. might not make it in traffic. You yeah. may not get in traffic division. So I understand. Mm -hmm. it, it's a you, you pay a price and you pay a hefty price sometimes. So yeah. I, I do understand. Yeah. My so, issue so is my issue is just don't talk about people that do. And don't misrepresent people that actually do that and, and, and tell them, oh, they ain't nothing. They don't do nothing. They this and they that. And they got this whole list of issues that they dealt with. They have they can pull out receipts, but you can't. Mm -hmm. But they can pull out receipts and say, I worked on this issue. I helped this person. I helped this person. I helped this person. Help. And this division looks this way because of what I did. It didn't look that way before I came. But when I got here, when I left, it looked this way. And you are a benefactor of what I what I did. Yeah. Don't you know? Just don't give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Well, hey, Gene, we're coming up on the last few minutes of the of the podcast, and I got one uh, last question. You know, when you became the deputy chief, when you look back at that book that you wrote, you said what ninety six. Mm -hmm. What what had changed, if any, from that point in your career to when you, you came at the end of your career? Or in, you mean in my organization or in policing in general? Well, in your organization. That's, you know, you know, you guys are chiefs, you know. Um, a, a police agency is what a police chief makes it. Yeah. So, you know, that really doesn't have a lot to do with time or era. As much as it has, as it has to do with that police chief's vision, their philosophy, their goals, their mandate, maybe even. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, you know, I, I don't. I would rather not go into that because then it becomes a a matter of. It sounds like I'm criticizing who's there, mm -hmm. and the, the current police chief in Fort Worth is a guy that used to work for me. Actually, in, in two two areas when I was the, the downtown lieutenant and uh, when I was over traffic division. And and I like him. I like him. I, I do have some observations as a citizen now, because 
I don't get involved. You know, I don't really hear a whole lot. I have people that call and tell me bits and pieces, but I don't really know a lot. But I am a citizen. I have seen some changes um, in some areas that I would like to see improve. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you this much: it, it that to me, it, it seems like it seems like, um, and Hump is has left recently, and you're still a police chief, correct? Um, okay. Um, it seems like, at least in, in Fort Worth, um, that they've kind of pulled scale back from crime fighting. And I suspect that has a lot to do with, um, you know, events, Floyd, George Floyd, and those, you know, those type of issues. And I, my, my guess is officers are reluctant to, um, to be aggressive. I'm not referring to excessive force, but to be aggressive, necessarily aggressive in police work. Um, I think also it's a different generation of officers. Uh, you you know, you have a lot of millennials. Mm-hmm. And so then they're, <laughs> they're not as friendly as we were. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, they, they just aren't. And I don't think they necessarily mean to be rude. But, you know, this is the digital generation that's coming up in policing now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I walk into a convenience store. They don't speak. They don't speak. They don't, yeah. they don't look at you. They don't acknowledge you. Nothing. Yeah. I've tried to have a conversation with a couple of them and they looked at me like, why are you talking to me? Um, and the fact that I was a cop means nothing to them. <laughs> Not even the fact that you were the deputy chief. Huh? Yeah, it, it means nothing. Yeah, wow. it means wow. nothing. Wow. Well, hey, guys, uh, man, this has been another great podcast. And, you know, uh, I think, Gene, I think we're having some uh, hub. I think we're having some audio problems on your end. Yeah, I can't hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I don't think neither one can hear you. Uh, so, so Gene, uh, he, he can hear us, man. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. And Thank uh, you. I'm, I'm glad to. Uh, Chief Humphrey reached out to you. We were able to get you on, and uh, thank you. You know, good conversation about uh, you know recognizing law enforcement burnout, and uh, you know, man, we gotta we gotta get you back on to talk more about about that Anytime. book from, from '96. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I tell you, man, this this hour goes by pretty pretty fast. Look forward to it. Look forward to it. Appreciate it. Much respect. All right, sir. All right, so you have All a right, good night, sir. and uh, we want to remind everybody. Uh, to tune in, make sure you tune in next Thursday for another episode of You and the Law Podcast Show. And if you miss any parts of this uh, broadcast, you can uh, check out the rebroadcast on our uh, Facebook page, uh, our YouTube channel, as well as uh, you can follow us on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can uh, search for You and the Law and uh, check out our rebroadcast shows. Um, and if you're not following our Facebook page, like it, share, and, uh, you know, we, we definitely love more people to tune in and, and join us. So Gene, it's been a, it's been a pleasure, sir. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you, see you soon. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Get your, yeah. Get your hands up. Yeah.